We got everything under control. <laughs> yeah, interesting word control. I think we were talking about order last time, didn't we? And this is kind of uh, a tan tangential subject to order. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, control, having control or having something under control or being a control. I mean, one of the thing, one of the common things about all the uses of the word is that it's a relationship to an order or a rule or a standard somehow. Obviously, a, a control implies sort of known whether they're agreed upon or not, like boundaries or rules for the measurement. Yeah. In the case of, say, controlling one's behavior, controlling one's emotions, it's based on the idea of there is a normal level of emotions or a rule that you prevent your emotions from going beyond, and therefore that's the control. Yeah, it's interesting, too, just to digress for a second, that in scientific experimentation, you have a control group. Right. A group that either does not get the uh, variable at all or, or gets the placebo or something. And that becomes what you measure against. And again, that, that appears in, in scientific lore or scientific procedure. That's an agreed upon standard. Right. Another standard in that same category of, of I'm doing an experiment. I want to you know, compare it against a standard to see if I'm getting a significant effect of my hypothesis here or my new drug. And that is, uh, part of the control is it, if for it to, to be uh, acceptable is that it can be repeated by someone else. Right. Operating in the same way. So replication becomes a kind of a level of control. And then, of course, when in this situation or in a situation where you're involved in, say, uh, an industrial experiment, which may be driven by the desire for greater profits, the control then might be a form of a regulation that is... Uh, able to meet minimum acceptable standards of uh, cleanliness, safety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So again, there's a, there's a rule you're measuring against, some kind of an agreed upon place. Control becomes a much more amorphous and many shaded thing when you don't agree on what the regulation, what the, what the standard is. Yeah. Standard implies something objective and measurable and definable and also agreed upon, which of course it rarely is. Yeah, so when you get to, you know, people's issues around control have to do with things like not feeling comfortable with other people's displays of emotion or... Exactly. Yeah. I was having a, a kind of a little minor disagreement, not really an argument, but just sort of an issue uh, in a discussion with my roommate this morning about loudness in the morning, in the very early morning hours. Yeah. We have a common wall in this apartment with the apartment next door, and... Uh, one of the things about having lived by myself for course of 20 years or more and then moving into this situation, I had forgotten how quiet I am in the morning. That's why I like the mornings, because they're quiet. So I'm not one of those kind of people who get up first thing in the morning, make a cup of coffee, and turn on the radio or the TV. I like the quiet. And of course, I was living on the boat and down in the marina, or the marina itself. The early hours, say between, oh, 4, 30, 5 o'clock and 7 or 8, is a very quiet place. Uh -huh. And... That's enjoyable for its quiet, and it also carries a responsibility because the way sound carries across water, you make an extra effort to be very quiet, like a, like a campground, because there are other people living aboard their boats. So I just developed this very sense of quiet. Well, I, you know, I have a roommate who kind of comes from the Midwest and has got a little more of a truck driver's gauge of what volume is. <laughs> to me. To me. <laughs> Yeah. So, I'm, so she was going downstairs to do something, or she oh she was about getting ready to leave to go shopping with her dog, just very early because she wanted to get out and get back before the day started heating up the way it has been these last few days here. 
climate-wise. And she, uh, at her probably normal, what she calls a fairly quiet level, said, hey, Al, we're on our way out now. And to me, it sounded like a gunshot outside my bedroom door. And I jumped out. And so we, we just traded comments. But she looked at me in kind of shock that I thought that that was loud. <laughs> right. And so I said, well, right. that's true. I mean, I'm, she was rooming with someone for a few years before she moved in here. And the person she was rooming with was not a quiet person either, apparently. So that worked out just hunky-dory. So the standard wasn't agreed upon. Yeah, yeah. So one person's control is another person's <laughs> running running amok. Yeah, I, I had a sweetheart back in the day when I was living in Hawaii, a beautiful woman, and she kind of stunned me one day because she said, she said, you know, you, William, you are a very controlling person. Ah. And I think I kind of snidely in my own mind, not out loud, said something like, well, it takes one to no one. <laughs> Yeah. Something like that. But over time, it took a, a long time, I, I began to see what she meant by that. And um, it had to do with the way that she managed relationships and how relationships look. And this is, for me, this was a, um, a side of life that was unexplored at the mm -hmm. time. So it was an unfulfilled category for me. And so by her standards, I was a controlling person. I always thought I was fairly open <laughs> So I think this is what you were saying about the different kind of standards that people have. It was something that I, it had to be worked through over time. It wasn't something that you could sit down and have a rational conversation about. It was like, it's like kind of learning somebody's language. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So in a way, it does take one to know one. <laughs> Since a person is always in a, in a relationship, a person always winds up mirroring back what, you know, you need to be working on in yourself. As we know from any of us who have been thoughtful about relationships at any point. And, I mean, in terms of our everyday lives, I think it shows up there more than anywhere else. Sure. I think you're exactly right. We, uh, our, our standards, our standard of measurement of whether we're, under, whether we're under control or not, our agreed upon rule is never really questioned when we're working by ourselves on ourselves. But our, that standing rule is always being questioned in relationships. Because finally, no two people have the same agreed upon rule unless they work really hard together at arriving at one that they can use. And when a rule, when a, whether you're under control according to a rule or whether you're regulating your behavior or your experiment according to agreed upon rule, that seems to get challenged every time somebody takes an experiment out a little further. It begins to throw questions out about, well, are we really agreed upon the rule? Right. Because you can get into some real arguments where, no, what I did was fine. Yes, what, no, what you did was not fine. Oh, what I did was fine. You, what you did was not fine. It's the standard by which we're coming up with fine that we forget how varied that is in our unconscious. So for, for control to actually arrive at order requires a meeting of minds on the rule. Yeah. And of course, I was just saying relationships is where that happens the most. Yeah. In a different direction, which is that we're living in a time when, for people, a lot of things are out of control. Or yeah. stuff that used to be in our control is no longer in our control. Like, we don't have any control over going to the market at certain hours or being able to go to a movie theater and see a movie and such like that, you know. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole bunch of areas where we can feel out of control. Like, we, we don't have a choice. We just have to sit at home and watch TV. Or we've got to go for a walk in a park when nobody else is yeah. around. And so it can, it can feel like 
think things are totally out of control. I don't have any control over yeah, my life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We certainly, even collectively, sort of agree that we don't yet have any sense of control over the pandemic. And because there's such a level of danger involved in it, that's it's where we've lost control over what you're describing, all these other normal aspects of our lives where we normally considered ourselves in, in control. Another area has to do with economics, not only the economics that have been affected by the, you know, the presence of all of these restrictions, all of these controls that we didn't have before that now we do have, or our sense of control that we used to have but now we don't have in the same category. There are these economic factors that we have. Uh, we had operated for so many decades under some very acceptable, relatively agreed upon rules such as if you get good grades and go to college and get a college degree, you can get a good job, which is the kind of a control we had. If we could get a good education, then we could get a good job and be okay. That was the kind of a control that we had. We were able to kind of govern that outcome by hard work and good grades and all that, but that doesn't exactly compute anymore. We don't have that control because the rule has shifted. The economics of the rule have shifted greatly by other factors that are also not under our control. Right. So thinking through all these places, all the things we're experiencing in our, in our lives these days relating to control or the lack thereof, I'm reminded, as a, as a momentary digression here, of a fairly humorous posting that was going around on Facebook for quite a while and will pop up again soon, no doubt. And that is a photograph of an amazingly pristine, calm lake with peaceful trees growing around the edge. And in the middle of the lake was a round, flat stone, and sitting in the middle of the stone was this monk in profound meditation. And the caption of this photo, which was the epitome of just contemplative peacefulness, was, relax, nothing is under control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there is that side of things where control is the thing that we want to impose. Yes. And the, and the reality of our lives and the reality of of, of our being is, is something that is absolutely outside of any kind of uh, control. Yes. It's not something we can command that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually, it, may, it makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it, sometimes? It does make you uncomfortable. Yes, I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> now, whether that uncomfortableness is necessary or not, that's another aspect of this. Because we're talking about control in the human affairs sense of control. And that when our human affairs, when we're not able to control them, exert that control or feel that we have the power or the authority to bring it under control, we feel a great discomfort. But if we regard it from a different point of view, we don't necessarily have to feel uncomfortable about control. Because when something is outside our personal control, it has to do with the fact that there are other possibilities than the ones we could personally come up with in terms of levels of control. Uh -huh. When we talk about our own control over our affairs, we're talking about a fairly narrow slice of the possible experiences in life. In fact, an innumerable number of which could be better than what we would like to have our life be under our control. Right. But that takes posing a challenge then to our own internal rules. Yes, well said. That's exactly the point, isn't it? Yes, I think, that's, I think that's a big chunk of it. And while we are often quick to react to someone doing something that we feel is violating our rules, 
we need to remember that the implication here is that there is in our rule or my rule something that needs to constantly be examined to see if my sense of or my my feeling affronted by this behavior is simply my limiting viewpoint of myself and other people being tested and that's my real discomfort there's a version of myself that is short-sighted unnecessarily limited the product of who knows what upbringing experience that sort of thing dna whatever yeah so in a way really attaining control of your life has to do with an interior dialogue a self a self-questioning a self-reasoning a self-examination uh-huh. an inquiry into possibilities uh-huh right so controlling your life then becomes an issue of spirit or mentation as much as applying any learned rule or learned standard of behavior it reminds me a little bit of a quote i I learned from a time management program. I was working at uh, the Merit Company. They they publish these insurance manuals. Uh-huh. And um, one of the, the articles about time management had the statement, which I, this is years ago, <laughs> I, I've remembered it all these years and think that it's just a, a very concise statement. It's that time management is self-management. Yeah. So we say that we want to take control of our time. Correct. I think they're going right to your issue, I think, right to your point. Yes. Is that what you're really doing with time management is you are taking control, not of time, (laughs) but of your own, I guess, uh, unconscious behaviors that are um, the things that really need to be managed. Yeah. Starting with making them more conscious, working to become aware of them. And then, yes, like you say, once you bring them into consciousness, then you can apply reason or you can apply standards of principle to manage them, letting go of what you need to let go of, hanging on to what is proven to be correct, Uh that sort of thing. You're right. Time management is self-management. I can see why you remembered it. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't want to control ourselves because we feel like that inhibits our freedom. Yeah. And yet... That whole statement that I just made is actually like completely illusion. It's it's really a fantasy that if we are subjected to controls in the sense that you began talking about, the controls that have to do with having a standard, mm-hmm. that this somehow limits our freedom and it somehow con- it controls us. It's, uh, it's something that is um, innately against our own spontaneity. I think that's a big lie. Yes, because until we can control ourselves, we're the victims of our unconscious, as you just pointed out a minute minute ago. All of the attitudes, these standards of behavior and measurements that we have that are unconscious, that are limiting us, limiting what we regard as possible for ourselves. So until we can learn to properly control ourselves, we're, we're further cementing our limited possibilities by not going inside and unearthing and holding the hard light of principle or truth over these aspects of ourselves. Yeah, applying a standard. Yeah, a proven standard, a proven, a proven by all minds, not just mine. Uh-huh. And there we get into the standards that are basically the universe revolves around, whether it's you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4 or something as simple as that or as complex as you know Heisenberg's theory of uncertainty. These things have been proven to be so. And that's the standards we need to ultimately work by. And though we may fight to tooth and nail 
yelling for our freedom while we resist these things. It's the only thing that will set us free. I remember an example Thane used to use in class on occasion when he was talking about the standard or one of the versions of it that we use, of course, a great deal in our studies, and that is the system. He said, we should be good. There's a system where the letter A is hooked onto the keyboard of the typewriter because that's the, that's the system of the typewriter. If, he ever, if the letter A ever got loose and came off the typewriter and went away wanting to be free, <laughs> nobody would know how to use the damn typewriter, and we'd all be stuck. <laughs> we wouldn't be free at all. <laughs> so control is the doorway to our real freedom. Okay, I have a quote, and then I'm going to ask you for a quote. Okay. My quote comes from Frank Herbert, and it comes from the very final volume of his great Dune series, which he had six books. And this quote goes like this. Seek freedom and become captive of your desires. Seek discipline and embrace your reality. So I'll say it again, the whole thing. Seek freedom and become captive of your desires. Seek discipline and embrace your reality. And the one that I wanted to ask from you was that fabulous quotation from the Tao Te Ching. Do you think you could read that into this podcast? Let's see. Can you coax your mind from its wandering and keep to the original oneness? Can you let your body become supple as a newborn child's? Can you cleanse your inner vision until you see nothing but the light? Can you love people and lead them without imposing your will? Can you deal with the most vital matters by letting events take their course? Can you step back from your own mind and thus understand all things? Giving birth and nourishing having without possessing, acting with no expectations, leading and not trying to control. This is the supreme virtue. 